Always great to catch up with the federal member for O'Connor, Rick Wilson. Rick, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Terry. Um, great to be with you, but obviously a, a very sad and sombre day with the uh, passing of our monarch, um, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, and uh, a, a momentous occasion, a momentous event in all of our lives, and a very, a very sad event, of course. Yeah, very sad. Uh, because only a couple of days ago, Her Majesty uh, met with the uh, newly minted Prime Minister of the UK. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, it, that did occur to me this morning that uh, Liz Truss, the new uh, Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, was uh, sworn in by Her Majesty at Balmoral only a couple of days ago. So, um, uh, you know, Her Majesty was obviously, uh, uh, you know, well enough at that stage to conduct her duties and uh, obviously very sadly, uh, you know, events uh, uh, move very quickly and uh, she passed away last night. Yeah, very sad uh, news, and uh, we'll have more throughout the day here on Triple M. But uh, the official statement there from Buckingham Palace uh, was made at 6.30 local time, so last night in the UK, 1.30 our time this morning, um, mm. Buckingham Palace releasing the statement that the Queen died peacefully at uh, Balmoral. Now, Rick Wilson, uh, of course, uh, Queen Elizabeth II made many visits to Western Australia. Did you uh, ever catch a glimpse of Her Majesty over the years? <laughs> No, look, I didn't, but I certainly met uh, the Prince Charles then, the uh, the new king, uh, Charles III, uh, in Albany. Uh, you know, back in 2015, he uh, he visited Albany and visited the National Anzac Centre. So I did uh, briefly get to uh, to meet the prince there and um, uh, wish him all the best uh, as he ascends to the throne as uh, King Charles III. Very sad news today. It's, it's one of those uh, world events. You remember exactly where you were when you heard the news. So Queen Elizabeth II has died at the age of 96 and uh, funeral arrangements will be uh, announced uh, in due course. Rick Wilson, uh, this is the first time we've had a chat since you were re-elected as the federal member for O'Connor. And of course, uh, now you take in some parts of the uh, central Weebelt, the old parts of Durack are now under O'Connor. So you've, you've got some new constituents in your area. Yeah, look, and I uh, have been spending a little bit of time, uh, as much time as I can uh, spare, uh, through the Central Wheat Belt. I was out in uh, Quarter a couple of weeks ago, uh, out to Meriden, uh, then down through Narrambeen, Bruce Rock and Corrigan. So, uh, you know, trying to get out as much as I can into those areas, as uh, your listeners may be aware, the electorate of O'Connor is uh, 1.1 million square kilometres, running from uh, the shores of Nanup, uh, Bridgetown, Collie, sort of on the western side, uh, right through to the South Australian border, including uh, Esperance, Kalgoorlie, and right up to uh, uh, Warburton uh, in the Nunnandara Shire and the Shire of Waluna. So a massive area, and uh, uh, you know, getting around it's a bit of a logistical exercise, but uh, I will be spending as much time as I can up in that central wheat belt, getting to know people up there and getting to know the issues, and uh, uh, certainly looking forward to a terrific season uh, when I've been driving around. Uh, it's uh, great to see... Uh, you know, water lying in the in the in the uh, the table drains as we're driving along, and puddles in the paddock. The dams are all full, and the crops are looking magnificent. So, uh, hopefully, we can uh, get through the frost period without too much damage, and um, uh, get another record harvest in the bin. Looking forward to a, a promising season ahead, Rick. You've uh, spent time, of course, at the Darren Field Days a couple of weeks ago, but then you went on a bit of a trek. You went on the uh, outback uh, road there. Um, there was a bit of an AGM uh, in the outback. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. So I, I don't normally uh, go off interstate for uh, uh, for events. I've got plenty to keep me busy with on my home patch. But uh, the Great Central Road or the Outback Highway, uh, Australia's longest shortcut from Laverton through to Winton in Queensland, is 2,700 kilometres. Uh, runs uh, up through the centre of Australia, uh, past Uluru, 
uh, and through into Queensland. And it, uh, uh, one of my constituents, a terrific fellow, Pat Hill, the shy president of Labor, and 25 years ago had a vision uh, to seal that road uh, and make it a new uh, sort of major highway through the centre of Australia. Now, um, at that time, there were 2,700 kilometres of gravel that needed to be uh, sealed. Uh, in increments over that 25 years, uh, we've had about 1,500 kilometres of that either sealed or funded to be sealed. Uh, now, just prior to the budget uh, that the Coalition handed down in March, uh, uh, Deputy Prime Minister Barnaby Joyce announced uh, the final $678 million uh, to complete that 1,200 kilometres of seal. Now, it'll take at least five years to get that, uh, that seal done, uh, but there is some light at the end of what was a very long tunnel, and uh, so the 25th anniversary of the Outback Highway Development uh, uh, Council AGM was held in Winton last week and uh, so I took a bit of time to get over there and uh, join in the celebrations of what has been a 25-year journey uh, to seal that road and I'm sure many Australians, uh, it'll become a a, a very high on many Australians' bucket list that uh, journey uh, in years to come. Rick, a lot of constituents have come in and, and raised concerns about passport delays. People have, uh, you know, put in an application for a passport back in May uh, with a with a book trip uh, trip booked for the twentieth of September, uh, and in some cases have received, uh, you know, for family, you know, mum and dad might have received their passports back. One of the kids uh, has got their passport back, and one of the kids hasn't got their passport. So, uh, and this is, um, you know three and four months. So, look, it's it's really concerning for a lot of people who have overseas holidays booked and their passports have either expired uh, during the two years of COVID or they need a passport from scratch, uh, particularly uh, families with children. Uh, and the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade who look after this, I think, have um, really been caught out with a shortage of resources. Uh, I mean, everybody's short of labour at the moment. We know that. Uh, but these departments are big departments. They can move... Uh, people from other areas uh, into the passport uh, application area and get this uh, get these passports done and back to people in a timely fashion. Uh, I've had two two constituents, uh, two different constituents, who've had to cancel holidays uh, because their passports uh, weren't uh, ready and returned to them on time. And as I say, I'm talking, I'm not talking about people who uh, applied a month out and expected their passport to be, uh, you know, approved, processed, and back in their hands within a month. I'm talking about people who. Uh, applied and started the process up to three to four months uh, prior to their trip, and uh, and have still not got a passport in their hands. So, I have uh, I have written to uh, Minister Penny Wong, uh, pleading with her uh, to put more resources uh, into the passport application area and uh, catch up on this backlog, uh, so that people and families that have got holidays booked overseas. Uh, can actually uh, get the passport in the hand in a timely fashion uh, and not have to stress about uh, whether they're going to have to cancel their holiday or not. It just compounds the situation for the aviation industry. We've heard of flight delays. We've heard of um, cancellations as well. So uh, as aviation starts to find its feet uh, on the back end of COVID, um, it's a pretty tough uh, situation out there. Well, it is. And, of course, you know, families are... Uh, you know, who haven't been able to travel, and I've got you know people with dying parents that are trying to get to the UK uh, to uh, you know to see their parents, you know, perhaps for the last time, and um, uh, it's very expensive to travel at the moment. Uh, you know, people are only travelling if they kind of have to, uh, and um, and of course, as you mentioned, uh, the aviation uh, sector is experiencing some very difficult times at the moment. Uh, of course, they sacked everybody when uh, COVID came in, and then I expected them to still be there to come back to their jobs, uh, you know, 18 months, two years later. It doesn't work like that. People moved on. And uh, so, unfortunately, it's been, uh, you know, been hard to find 
people to come back into the aviation industry as baggage handlers and other sort of key roles. Uh, and um, yeah, I you know fly to Canberra regularly, and uh, just about every flight's been delayed, and it's uh, it's it's a difficult time to be travelling. But of course, uh, with this passport issue, uh, it's just making life even more stressful for people. And Rick Wilson, uh, more of a situation in the goldfields, but you've got an update on the cashless debit card. Yeah, so um, the cashless debit card, which was brought in by the, uh, the coalition government, is a system whereby 80% of a welfare working age welfare recipient's uh, uh, payment goes on a, a visa card. It's a visa card like any other visa card. It'll work in any merchant's uh, outlet that uh, that is registered with visa, um, but it is blocked to buy uh, alcohol uh, and gambling products, and of course, uh, uh, you know, drug dealers don't take uh, credit cards. So, um, effectively, uh, 20% of your your payment goes into your existing account as cash, and uh, you can spend that on whatever you want. So, if you want to have a a couple of quiet beers after uh, after a day, that's that, that's fine. But uh, 80% of uh, the payment goes on the the, the Visa card, uh, which people can use to spend on anything other than alcohol and gambling products and, of course, drugs. So uh, I think it was a great policy, and certainly across the goldfields, it's, uh, it's anecdotally made a huge difference in the lives of uh, particularly uh, families and children who weren't being uh, perhaps properly uh, looked after and fed and uh, clothed, and uh, we saw some massive improvements in that area. Uh, the new government was elected on a platform of getting rid of the cashless debit card, which they've uh, introduced uh, legislation to Parliament to that effect. Uh, and it's passed through the lower house and is now uh, before the Senate. Um, but unfortunately, uh, in many of the communities, and I'm talking across the goldfields, Kalgoorlie, Boulder, uh, Laverton, Leonora and Coolgardie, uh, the cashless debit card removal is not being matched with uh, services being ramped up. So we're going to see a lot more domestic violence. Uh, we're going to see a lot more antisocial behaviour. We're going to see people... Uh, you know, getting back on the on the grog, back on uh, back on the drugs, and we're not seeing the government step up and uh, provide those uh, additional support services. Um, uh, some people may may say, uh, why are they taking the card away? If we're going to see that level of uh, antisocial behaviour and dysfunction, and I would uh, certainly agree with that. So I've been arguing uh, for the retention of the cash debit card, but given the government's already passed the legislation uh, to get rid of it, uh, you know, I've been calling on them. Uh, to certainly massively ramp up the support services and also the state government with uh, police, nurses, uh, the sort of services that they provide to these communities will need to be massively boosted. Because you'd have to offer some pretty big incentives uh, for those extra services to get those staff out to those areas. Uh, yeah, look, the staffing in those areas is always difficult. There's no question about that. And, and of course, it gets more difficult when they're understaffed. Uh, you know, the nurses at the hospital get run off their feet, the police are... Uh, constantly on call. So uh, I wrote to the Premier back in October uh, asking, uh, I'd, I'd done a run around uh, those shires and uh, the, the feedback was that the state services in uh, particularly police, uh, healthing and also uh, education uh, were um, uh, sadly lacking. I wrote to the Premier on the 25th of October. I've never received a response to that letter uh, asking for increased services uh, and uh, followed up via email uh, a couple of times uh, in the last two months, still haven't received a uh, uh, a response. So very disappointed that uh, those communities are a bit out of sight, out of mind uh, for for governments everywhere. And um, but I'm certainly doing my best to uh, you know keep them front and centre uh, in uh, certainly the state and federal government's mind. And Rick, finally, uh, you got some uh, news regarding the Meriden office. Uh, of course, not yet open. 
Yeah, so uh, as you know, listeners across the Central Wheat Belt will know, uh, my good friend Melissa Price had an office uh, in Meriden. Uh, it was her third office. Uh, electorates of our size are entitled to three parliamentary offices. I currently have offices in um, Albany, Esperance and Kalgoorlie, so I've got my quota of three offices. Uh, I have written to the Special Minister for State, uh, Don, uh, Don Farrell, who has the authority to make a decision and say, yes, in this particular case, um, uh, the member for O'Connor can have a fourth office. I have pleaded uh, the case that geographically, um, the people living in the central wheat belt aren't going to travel via Kalgoorlie to anywhere. Uh, they to travel via Esperance or, or via Albany. Uh, you know, basically, most people from the central wheat belt would head down the Great Eastern Highway towards Perth. And so I have asked for the existing office in Meriden, which the Commonwealth probably spent around $350,000 uh, fitting out in uh, 2018. Uh, it is sitting there in Meriden at the moment, locked. I, I don't have access to it. They won't give me the keys while they make a decision. Uh, so the yep. the office sits there. Um, rent's being paid. Uh, the fit-out expense, uh, as I say, was, was spent uh, four years ago. Um, but I don't have access to that office. So... Uh, I have uh, written to the minister. I've uh, pleaded the case, and I'm still waiting for an answer. So I'll be starting to ramp up uh, a bit of a campaign. I've spoken to the Shire of uh, Meriden and some of the surrounding shires to write letters of support to uh, uh, the minister, uh, asking that uh, the people of the Central Wheat Belt get uh, at least some sort of equivalent access to uh, their federal member, as someone living in a metropolitan mm-hmm. seat might get, where they can drive uh, to their uh, their member's office in 10 or 20 minutes. Uh, obviously, yeah. you know, if you live in Ben Coven, uh, it's going to take an hour and a half to get far. to uh, to Merrin, but at least you, you wouldn't have to drive to Kalgoorlie. So, yeah. um, want, want something closer. <laughs> that's right. So uh, hopefully uh, they see common sense, and I'll be certainly working very hard to achieve that. And look, it's disappointing that, what are we now? We're, we're four months uh, from an election win and uh, still no update on the offers. Yeah, look, I, and, and I did, uh, I met with the Minister's Chief of Staff um, a month, six weeks ago. Uh, I don't quite know why it takes so long to make a decision. Uh, they know what it costs. There's a there's a monthly rent. Uh, the uh, the fit-out cost is a sunk cost that's already been spent. So if they walk away from it, the, you know, that, that, that money goes up in smoke. Uh, and, of course, uh, you know, I've also asked for a staff member because uh, at the end of the day, uh, while having an office is all very well, uh, you know, and I'll try and be there as often as I can. Um, the really important thing is to have a staff member who can, um, you know, be in the office and uh, deal with people on a day-to-day basis as they come in. So that's the yeah. critical uh, component, and that's probably what they're having a bit of problem with is uh, the ongoing cost of a staff member. Rick Orson, uh, federal member for O'Connor, appreciate your time on Triple M. Beauty, thanks very much, Terry.